What's up and welcome to another episode of the Scott and Ian show on the SBL podcast. Today, Scott and I get to sit down with legendary West End bass player Ian King. You heard of a show called Hamilton? Ian King plays for Hamilton in the West End. Now, if you don't know what the West End is, it's the UK version of Broadway. And Ian King is in that mix. He's played a ton of shows with a bunch of artists. He's going to break down what you need here if you want to do that. I'm pointing at my head for those of you that are uh, just listening to the pod. And what you need here. And I'm picking up a bass. Right, We're going to talk about mentality and gear. And he's going to take us all through it. He's a lovely guy. And look, if you haven't checked out SBL and the Learning Pathways, he has recorded a soul and R&B Learning Pathway that I've gone through. Talks about stacks and Motown, soul and R&B bass playing. It's incredible and comprehensive. And he just released a funk Learning Pathway into the Academy as well. So be sure to check that out at scottsbasslessons.com. What else do we got going on at SBL? We've got... Monday, the 6th of November, Todd Johnson is in the mentor seat doing Days of Wine and Roses, a melodic and rhythmic, melodic and rhythmic sequences. So check that out with Todd Johnson. Then the following week, Monday, November 13th, we've got Jonathan Herrera in the seat talking about melodic minor and more. Break out of the modal rut. You in a rut? You in a theory rut, bro? Break out of that uh, melodic minor with Jonathan Herrera. That's going to be a good time. Hey, also, the fretboard accelerator is open for enrollment right now, and it is indeed the last chance to lock it in at the current low price. After this, it's going up. It's going up. So you need to learn about your fretboard? Check that out. Also, <laughs> go baseless in our latest community challenge starting today. If you check out the campus, there's all these cool challenges that we do that Anita sets up, that Anita and Ben set up in the campus. And this one, I believe, is about how to learn a baseline without having your bass on you. So instead of hearing something and, pl and trying to play along, if you hear a baseline, you can ascertain what it is. That's a fancy ass word that I just used by thinking about intervals, using your ears, being able to sing a scale. It's a crazy challenge, but that's happening right now at the campus. It's all going on at SBL. So check it out. Scottspacelessons.com. And that's enough of me. Here we go into this interview with Mr. Ian King. What we're going to do about the names today, like just for everybody listening, we've got two Ians on, so we're screwed. <laughs> I've got no idea how to actually navigate around this. We've got Ian K and we've got Ian A. Even K and A rhyme. Like, oh, what no, the? Man. It's not easy, is it? You have to get all formal. It's Mr. just King. an Ian takeover. No, uh, never yes. too many Ians. This is, this is just one. the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. We need K King and Allison. King and Allison. <laughs> yeah, so if anybody's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. we'll go with King and Allison. Anybody that's listening right now, we have got both Ians with us today. We've got Ian right. King and Ian Allison. You will be able to tell the difference very easily because Mr. King has got a beautiful English accent. So oh, if you've ever wondered does. what a beautiful English accent sounds like, <laughs> oh, it man. sounds like Mr. King. Uh, and if you've ever wondered what, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're sort of like <laughs> from Westeros. If we were good, I think I kind of sort of like when I'm explaining uh, that like accents to somebody from the States, I'm like, have you watched not Lord of the Rings? What is Game of Thrones? Like we've got uh -huh. the North, we've got the South. What's it called? Right. Westeros. That's where, that's where King's from. And okay. I'm from, well, the north, yeah. yeah. Slightly the smellier people up north. And I have to say, it's a good job that this isn't smell-o-vision because I actually stink today. I'm oh, no. just putting it out there. Yeah, and uh, Alan, 
like god bless him he's coming around to, like we're doing another interview later and he's coming around to interview that and i'm absolutely gonna have to apologize i don't know what's going on maybe it's like a 45 thing but i definitely smell today so yeah, oh, yeah. anyway so if anybody doesn't know who mr ian king is um i've put a little introduction together for you and i even messaged the guys yesterday and i was like oh check out this introduction that i put together anyway <laughs> so we wanted to get ian king on the podcast because not only is he an amazing bass player um, but he's also just released a brand new learning pathway into the sbl membership that is fire it's really really amazing we've had so yes. many great comments from all of the members coming forward and saying this is amazing and he's also got more um courses in there as well um because he's he's done the last one that he's just released is the funk learning pathway but he's also got the soul and r&b learning pathway in there as well which is if you kind of like add these all together it's over 12 hours of content um from mr king in the sbl membership and um and it's just an absolute honour to have you working with us, Ian, because you're such a badass player, as I was saying just earlier. And if you haven't heard of, you know, who Ian's played with, you need to come out from the uh, the cave that you've been living in because he's played with Amber Lamb Adam Lambert, Tom Grennan, the Sugar Babes, Sister Sledge, the Temptations, the Supremes, Don Felder from the Eagles, Paul Young, Huey Lewis, Hugh Jack Hugh Jackman. What was that like? Was that cool? Yeah, it's pretty cool. I'm he's like a really secret nice Hugh Jackman yeah. fan. He's, he's called. Yeah, yeah. Wolverine. <laughs> We're similar. Yeah, Wolverine. King has played with Wolverine. Yeah, Incredible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Catherine Jenkins, Rick Astley, Albert Lee, and many more. And he's also toured arenas with Queen, uh, Queen Symphonic, Andrew Lloyd Webber, Jesus Christ Superstar, Doc Two Live, and the Symphonic Rock with the Philharmonic, Philharmonic Orchestra. And. Jesus, man. He's held a bass chair in the West End for the Dream Girls, Book of Mormon, Shrek the Musical, which I actually saw yesterday, Sister Act, Hairspray, and Fame and Daddy Cullen. He's currently playing in Hamilton at the Victoria Palace um, Theatre in London. In other words, he's... Great uh, Christ, yeah. dude. <laughs> I know, yeah. I actually, I have to sort of like put it out there. Yesterday when I was like, oh, I better get an intro together for Ian. He's coming on the podcast. I was like, wow, shit. He's actually played with a lot of people. <laughs> Oh, that's too kind. That's too kind. Great intro. Thank I've got it. I've got it. I want to. I want to ask you right away, Mister King. Hello. All of those names, right? You hear all these names, <laughs> and you know the the question that so many people have, and that you know that I get asked, and I'm like, Ugh, how do you even answer this? But I'm gonna just be. I'm just gonna be one of those guys, and I'm gonna ask you this okay. question. Okay. Right. Right out of the gate. What do you feel like is the common thread between all of these incredible artists that you've played for? Is there something that unifies all of these people in terms of their professionalism, um, their attitude? Is there something that you're like, oh, yeah, people in the top are all share this? Or is it sort of a random mix? Well, that's well, that's a good question. It's quite a hard question to kick off with, isn't it? But um it's interesting that there's a mix of personalities, you know, there's, there's different levels of kind of humility or egos, you know, and that kind of thing. But I guess the common thread is just, there's, there's been a creative, you know, surge for them at some point and they've had a, they've had a real moment. Mm. You can tell that it peaked at some point. It might be, they might be still in it or it might've happened and then, and they're sort of dining out on it. But generally it's been, it, it's someone that's had a really creative 
spell. And then when you get to play for someone like that, there'll be that moment where you just think, oh yeah, this, this is, this is the real deal, you know? So there's, there's always something, yes. there's always a moment when you're playing for them and you just go, oh, this is, this is why they became who they are. There's a sort of hairs What's on the What's that moment like? You know? Well, it's pretty, it's just pretty cool. Where, where just, does that come from? Yeah. You just kind of like suddenly think, oh wow, I'm kind of playing, you know, I don't know, like I played with Paul Young at one point and you think oh, I'm playing that, I'm playing the Pino line, you know, I'm playing that thing that he did. Oh my God. And it's like, <laughs> I can't believe it. And that's him. That's actually him, you know. So you just have this little moment. Yeah, and it's, um, yeah. but, but generally, what's funny is at the same time as saying that, it's it's also quite interesting how just like a normal gig, normal, you know, like a function or something more mm. lower level is, 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 it is still, that is the bulk of it, is just setting up in the same way, practicing in the same way. They, they come in with all yes. the same issues of like sound issues or the mic thing. And, and you just think, oh, that's... It's just like any other gig, but that happens to be whoever right. it might be, you know. So it's kind of funny. And then, <laughs> yeah, then yeah. there'll be a moment when, when they suddenly you hear that chorus or that killer chorus or whatever it might be. And you just go, oh, this is, that's it, you know, which is quite fun. You know, like, like yeah, last year I played for the, um, the Sugar Babes on this thing. And there was just some really funky lines I'd heard. And then when you get to do it, you just think, yeah, I'm part of that record that I like. Just for a minute, I'm enjoying yeah, yeah. being yes, in that record, yeah, you know. Yeah. So, oh, my God. I still, I still love playing the bass, which is cool, after quite a while. And um, and you do live for those little special moments, you know. And then I, I guess you just mm. use all your other moments, your day-to-day -day playing, practicing, getting that technique ready and being ready for the special moments, you know. So you can't just yeah. sort of be lazy, sit around, and then just hope that one day you'll just have a really exciting thing happen. It's like, you've got to kind of keep working. Of course. You, know, you can't let it go. Like, yeah. like you guys know. You is know, there any, is, is there anybody like out of all of those artists that you've played with, is there any that really surprised you where you, you know, you heard them coming back through the monitor and you were like, wow. Yeah. Like well, they are great. Yeah. Um, well, a few, a few of them. I'm trying We're going to hit you with all the but, tough questions. Today, I know this is King. difficult, isn't it? I'm like hitting with all those tough questions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny. Someone like like we talked about Hugh Jackman briefly. Like I did a, a thing for him. It, what was quite comedy about that gig was, um, well, to start with, he he was brilliant. He was just you know knew his stuff. I was playing with a big orchestra behind us, and he seemed to just learn everyone's name in the whole thing instantly mm. and remember everyone. He's, he was brilliant like that, so he was really oh, on the ball. Yeah. I was really impressed with just how he did everything. But we we played at this um, this big function for um, I, I, you have to forgive me, I've forgotten his name, but it was at the sixtieth birthday party of a, an Australian guy who I can't remember his name is a big businessman or something. And what was quite funny was yeah. there, were, there were multiple stages with just an even bigger act behind. So it was just quite comedy. We're somewhere in the middle. So it was like a smaller <laughs> act in front of us. And then it was like, yeah. and now, and they'd like unveil us. And it was like, Hugh Jackman. So we'd do a load of things. And like, wow. And then behind us, they went, and now Billy Joel, you know, we're like, oh, so I'm not, we're not the biggest thing. It's no like, oh, okay, get out of the way, please. We've got Billy next, you know. So he kicked in. It's like, <laughs> and like Billy Joel. Yeah. so it was quite funny, actually, because we were just like, usurped you know but um but it's fine oh yeah, good fun but um but there's you know there's a few, it, I mean, it's like a few. they're all good really Blimey. you mentioned prep you mentioned like prepping for this you know you you wouldn't you, know, you prep for a, any gig uh like you would for any other gig or like a big opportunity like you would for anything and can you speak to that a little bit like just talk to us about your preparation process are you charting are you yeah. reading are you trying to memorize does it depend on the gig what's that like for you yeah, well, I mean, the one that's sort of um, 
sort of pertinent at the moment. The one that's sort of in mind is this this New Year's Eve gig I've got coming out. I did it last year and I've got another one coming up this year and it's lots of different pop acts that we'll be playing for. And in fact, I got a, a text from the MD earlier today and he was like, I'm starting to put stuff in the Dropbox. So to start with, they'll put a load of... Um, kind of mp3s so that he often you know liaise with the management of the various you know um, acts and get some live recordings of previous gigs they've done they'll get put in a in a dropbox so you can just start to get the stuff in your ears and i, th- I think that's probably the most important impar- you know important part of the whole process for me is just to sort of get an idea of what the artist wants you know and then um with time they'll start to get some some charts down and they could be as simple as just some chord charts or it might be that someone's done a more specific written thing that they want you know so that'll probably come a bit you know closer to the rehearsal time you know but i think the most important bit yeah. is to is to clock what they did and actually this particular md guy um he will say he will talk about sounds of it as well and and this is where it's like we were just talking before we started today about how everything's changing so quickly and you know the old yeah. the old me like a few say 20 years ago when i was playing for sort of you know acts like the supremes and the temptations and lots of sort of old 80s acts and stuff it would be just the prep would be just the lines you know getting the lines together with that one bass and working on that but these days it's it's, it's sounds and stuff and there's like a lot more synth stuff coming in and um it's mm. either an actual um, bass synth or, you know, if you want to try and keep it all on one instrument, I've had to try and muck around with my sound. So I got like last year, I bought that, um, what's it called? It's Source Audio is the company and it's called a C4. And it's oh, like C4. It, you know, yeah. And, and it's, yeah. and it's not, again, it's not as simple as just like, you know, kneeling down on the stage and fiddling with some things. You've got to go on your computer. You've got to plug it in with your USB. Oh, yeah. You've got to go through a load of sounds, right. tweak your sounds, save them to the pedal, and then hope that on the gig you can make it work, you know. And that's a lot harder to to make work these days, especially synth sounds where you sort of blend a bit of your original bass sound in as well. And I'm um, trying to make that cut through, you know, um, it's, at, it's at Wembley Arena, so it's quite a big room, you know, and it's like I want to still sound like a punchy electric bass, but I've gone a bit synthy. Yeah. It's like, so the, can the we prep- just put it out there, Ian? Oh. That your your New Year's gig is at Wembley Arena, and it's like playing with. <laughs> let me just sort of like because you, I don't think that you made that like as sort of like evident as it needed to be that your New Year's oh, gig is at Wembley crazy. Arena, and you're yeah. playing with like who are some of the artists that you're playing with? Um, I know well, that you mentioned year, Take That earlier. Yeah, this year I think we've got Paloma Faith and. Um, Becky Hill, was it? And uh, Jack Jones. I think Busted as well are coming along, so we've got to play for them. Oh, yeah, and then yeah, I think yeah. yeah with, um, with Take That, so we'll be playing with a few different people, you know. And um, But, yes, it's, it's really fun. I mean, that would be cool, you know, to see these people you've seen on TV and whatnot for years and suddenly, like, you're playing... Oh, playing for them and is that live on tv as well are you doing it live um well we recorded it actually a bit earlier in december and then it goes out on um on new year's eve i think it's like 8 till 10 p.m from what i remember last year so it's not the sort of midnight slot it's just a bit before the sort of prime time bit i suppose you know but um yeah it's good fun ask Sorry. Yeah, go on. No, go go for it, Ian. Like, we're all, like, but like jumping on each other for oh, questions. No, I'm fine. like, no, no, There's also, there's a pesky delay. Uh, it would be so fun to be in a room with you guys. Yeah. Uh, it, it, but this is the next best thing. It's all good. I, I was curious about tone. You know, you're talking about playing Wembley. You're talking about synth sounds with pedals. I mean, that's super near and dear to my heart. Yeah. But I'm not playing Wembley, right? So I'm not I'm not crafting sounds for the same environments that you are. But I, I certainly 
share that thought of like, oh, sounds are everything. Like in all the artists I play for, it is sounds. I mean, lines, yes. But the real thing I spend the most time on is crafting sounds. Yeah. So when you do that, like when you're going to put together your C4 patches, um, do you also play key bass as well? Um, I, I or do you just play, do it on pedals? Yeah, I did pedals last year on that gig, just for, I think for space concerns, because I had to play electric upright as well. And there was only a certain amount of space oh, on this wow. sort of plinth I was on, you know, so I, I had one of these Yamaha, um, silent basses as well. And I had, um, the, yeah. this main five string that I use, actually got it here today, the, my overwater that I use for a lot of stuff. And then I oh, had yeah. a more e-bassy thing, which was like whenever that was kind of, plectrum a bit more rocky kind of you you want to get more on that sound you know um so i had a couple yes. of electrics and the electric upright so i didn't really have space to do the, the synth bass as well but i've got synth bass on the show that i play on in london so i do that um day to day and um but yeah so i sort of trying to make it work and this is the funny thing it's like you, you, you'll know this in fact i i feel like i should put my hands in the air because mr allison knows this way better than me all this pedal stuff but um essentially you know to make you know, these sounds work in your bedroom. You get this great sound together. As soon as you're on a, the bigger the stage and the bigger the room, the oh, more, um, yes. I, I don't know about if you guys find this, but they kind of roll off the extremes of your, you know, of your sound. They want your, your sound to fit in a certain frequency band, which works, especially on a, in a big room. So they'll yeah. roll off loads of stuff. So what, where I'm going with this is that, you know, you might have this wicked kind of octava sound that you really love you think oh that's really working and then suddenly the, the sound guy goes i'm not having that low octave so suddenly you're just some idiot playing up high <laughs> you know what i mean so you've got to try and you've got to think of a sound that's going to work you know so and actually yeah, I, yeah. it's more of, of um ian allison talking about you know trying to get a really nice synth sound more organically with like fuzzes and a bit of chorus and a bit of maybe an envelope so, so and i think stuff that's sort of concentrating on on sort of quality of tone in the mid middle range is actually works yes. better because the sound guy is not going to allow this huge range that we want. It's not going to allow that through. No. You know? So especially for the bigger the room, yes. you know, they want to control that sound. And, and you know, at the end of the day, it's probably going to come out of a small TV speaker as well. This is the funny thing, you know, that's so um, right. So it's, um, yeah, it's, well, it's it, a bit of a game really getting it all right. But. When we've talked to guys like Jonathan Marin or guys like Tim LaFave who play a lot of pedals and synth based sounds, they're doing it. Um, or like, I feel like when I was talking to Tim about it, he was doing it in um, maybe like a smaller club in an improvised setting and then setting up pedals to make really dramatic kind of scene changes to like, you know, quote unquote, blow up the PA. And it just, it it was mind blowing to me because that couldn't be farther away from the reality that I live in and that you live in too, Mr. King of like, you know, you have to provide a sound that's going to work um, in a stadium with, with an artist with a, probably a pretty dense mix, maybe a bunch of yes. tracks, right? Yeah. And so you have to, and you, you can't send a line level signal suddenly with tons of low end that's going to melt the subs at Wembley. They'll yeah. just clamp you with compression, roll yeah. off all the bottom. I mean, those exactly. FOH guys are letting nothing past. Yes, yeah. Exactly and and so exactly do, do you find, yeah, like, do you find that, um, it is, it's almost easier just to make it with pedals in your bass guitar than craft it on. Well, yeah. What's the bass synth that you use on the shows? 
Well, on the, the show, I've, rig. Yeah, the, the, I've got like a controller keyboard. Um, what's it called? Oh, my brain's gone now. But it's a controller keyboard, and it's just like they've got like it's all on the, the computer system for the for the keyboards for the, all, all of the keyboards in the pit. So the sounds, are kind of, especially with Hamilton, it's really locked down, you know. But I've got like one of those Novation yes, base stations as well, which is a bit more organic, so like, I can make my yeah. own sounds at home. Um, but um, yeah, it's yeah, you're right. When, it's, sometimes it's a bit easier to try and cultivate a sound with pedals yourself and what's funny is that especially with like that c4 pedal there's there's that kind of golden control which is how much of my original sound do i want in there blended with the sure the sound. and you'll find that when it gets live to cut through you'll start to put more and more of yourself in you know and um yeah, yeah. sometimes it's more like you you need to go more more dirt than anything because that that will still yes. even if someone rolls off the extremes of your sound that's still coming through in the middle, you know? So th- yeah, like you say, a bit of right, fuzz right. And, and chorus and that kind of thing, just to change it up oh. is enough. And, and actually you hit the nail on the head in terms of like the dense mix thing, because the sort of gigs I do, like I'm thinking of that one again, it's like drums, bass, two guitars, two keyboards, string section yeah. and brass section, and often three or four singers or something. It's just massive. And, that, and most of my career has been fighting my way through enormous bands, you know? So it's not, I don't, I've hardly, I remember when I last played in a trio, you know, it's like, it's always hundreds of them. Yeah, like, yeah. Remember Dream Girls, the musical was eight piece brass section and noisy people. Oh my word. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, enough. So you, you, again, that changes your, your perception of sound and how you want to sound as a bass player. You end up with this low mids, low mids, a bit of upper mids. I'm going to, I'm coming through whether you like it or not, you know, so you've got to punch your way through these dense <laughs> yeah. mixes, you know, so it's quite funny really. But yeah. Amazing. Oh. Like yeah. I'd, I'd love to uh, find out how you actually got into playing in the West End, and, and oh, yeah. I'm sure that a bunch of our audience would love love that as well. By the way, if anybody's wondering what the West End is, it's the UK version of the of Broadway. But before we go there, because we're talking about gear, can oh, we yeah. just get into what gear you use as well? Like, what's your main bass amp? What's your main um, your main bass? And also, like, what's the, on the pedal board that you're using right now? Ma- the yeah. main stuff. Okay. Well, yeah, I'll do a quick um, sort of summary of it all. I mean, essentially, I've had a, this relationship with Overwater Bases for a few years now. And um, so yeah. I've got a couple of their just sort of five string. I mean, for the, anyone who can see, I know obviously this is obviously a podcast as well, but anyone can see I've got my main um, bases of five string Overwater Jazz. And I've got actually quite recently. And you've got two of one. those, right? Yeah, I've got another one. Actually, I sold a big heavy one and I've had another one of these built, which is more of an amber burst sort of thing. Just to, to you know, for stand up gigs, it's just a bit easier to deal with. I always put bars Hold it right in front of you, out. Mr. King. Hold it right in front of you so that the YouTube, oh, yeah. I, I don't know how it'll be cropped for YouTube, but uh-huh. so we can see. Oh, yeah, that's beautiful. So, yeah, it's got, yeah. I mean, I tend to What's go. What's the body on it? Yeah, so it's kind of like an ash body. And then it's um, so you can sort of see big open grain on the uh, on the back there. So it's a big ash, it's ash body. Yeah. And I tend to favour a bit of flame maple on the front because it brightens it up, you know. And I've gone. I often yeah. go for maple fingerboards with maple necks because I sort of have this theory. Again, it's, this probably comes back to that trying to punch through, you know, big heavy mixes. Is that I like a bass that has the ability to be bright and punchy if, if it wants naturally, which I can roll away with passive tones and all that kind of thing, rather than Got having it, yeah. a dialect sounding instrument, which I, I'm having trouble cranking treble out of when it needs. So I tend to favour, maybe rightly or wrongly, kind of quite bright sounding instruments just just because of. Like I want that to work for me, you know. So I've got, I've got a couple of five-string yeah, yeah. overwater um, fretted ones, and I've got four-string overwater um, fretted, which you'll see in all the the videos on SBL when we do the the teaching videos. 
um, which is one yeah, of their one yeah. of standard jazz basses. Um, and then um, I've got a bit of a, a deal with Yamaha basses. So I've got the the latest BB basses, the, the broad basses, I think they're called. So it's ah, very cool. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that on your Instagram. Yeah, what are they yeah. like? Are they good? Yeah, they're, they're actually all right. They're, it's um, it's funny because my normal sound is is all of the back pickup, all the kind of bridge pickup, and maybe seventy five percent of the of the front pickup. That's kind of my general go to sound. But with the BBs, you've got to think of them more as a P bass pickup with with a bit of backup mm. of a little bit of the jazz. So I think of it more as a precision sound. So if I ever want a precisiony sound. I'll grab the BB and have the front pickup on full and just a little bit of the back one to help with clarity, you know, on, especially, like I say, on those sort of stages. Mm. So I've got the five and four yeah, string yeah. versions of that. Um, and actually I had the five string defretted. So recently um, uh, that's, that's working really well as a fretless, you know, and um, oh, I'm cool. to, strangely, yeah. I'm, I'm oh, keeping, you know, my collection a bit smaller because mainly because I've, I find that if I don't play things, they just the sound closes in. So I like to sort of have a smaller collection of basses that I'm playing a lot, and that keeps the sound. I don't know if you find this. If you if you dig out an old bass that you haven't touched for ages, the first couple of days you're like, this, sounds, this doesn't sound as good as I remember. This is a bit dull. And then like about three days later, you're like, this is amazing. You know, it's kind of like, wow, it's come to life again. You know. So I try and I try and just have a That's few bases that I use all the time. And then, um, and it keeps them alive, alive. <laughs> Frank, alive. On alive. <laughs> hold, hold on, Scott. Do you do you find that to be true for you? Do you have you experienced that? I... Bass you haven't played in a year or something. Improve hmm. me wrong now. Six yeah. months, uh, four months. No way. No, I, I will tell you. It comes from the same. It comes from the same place, though. So, but but I've never thought about it like that before so i'm not sure whether it's that going on or whether it's something to do with me but what i have done like many times is i've played do you know like an album that i can't there's probably a terminology for this type of album the type of album when you put it on and you don't love it immediately but after like a week you're like Rose on you this is the best album of all time <laughs> yes like yeah. I have had that with basses for sure, where I'll play it and I'm like, eh. Mm, yeah. But then after maybe three to five to seven days, I'll start to, and maybe it's what Ian's talking about, King, whereas the bass is sort of like coming alive, or maybe it's just I'm finding where the nooks and crannies of that bass are mm. and how to make it work sonically. Right, right. Because you've heard me talk about this a lot, Ian, uh, Ian Allison, Mr. Allison, <laughs> where I talk about there is definitely a benefit to having a relationship with, with one bass right. where you can really learn how the notes really how to make the notes work and bloom on that particular instrument. And it's definitely different on all different bases. So yes. yeah, like yeah. maybe there is some sort of like black magic in there. Yeah, for sure. So well, yeah. I have felt that before too, like uh, thinking, okay, like picking up a bass and going, oh, that, that actually just happened to me recently with my old number one, which was the Antigua Jazz. I can't believe I'm saying old number one. I've just been playing these Mike Law basses more recently, but I've got this 78 Antigua Jazz bass that I absolutely love. And it's kind of a dog. I mean, it's, it's heavy and the pickups are kind of weak, but I just put in the time. Yeah, on it, it and but then I've yeah. put it away, and I'm playing these other bases, and then I pick it up, and you you use this term closed in. That is exactly 
how it feels to me. But yeah. I have always only blamed myself. I'm <laughs> going to start blaming the bass. <laughs> exactly. This is why I got love. This is why I got into pedals. You can always just look at the floor when you hit the wrong note and you can just go, ah, oh, you know? yeah, oh, what yeah, the hell? Yeah. Oh, it's the pedal. Exactly. Oh, you know? well, that's, I tell that, you, yeah, I, like I Ken have Smith, felt that. Yeah. Yeah. Ken Smith's talked, uh, we've talked about this on the podcast a few different times where I saw an article from Ken Smith. It was a blog, not a blog. It was a, um, like a online community forum that he used to run. And somebody had asked him, Hey, can I, you know, will, I can't remember exactly what the question was, but it was something along the lines. Hey, I've played my, my friend's old, like mid eighties, Ken Smith or nineties, Ken Smith. Um, it's the set. I'm absolutely in love with that bass. Um, will, will a new one sound like that? It was like, if I order one from you, will it sound like that? Right. And obviously Ken Smith, um, from a sales perspective, he could just be—he could just say, "Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, right, right." Yeah, oh, it's yeah. going to sound exactly that, and he actually doesn't. In in the post, he said, "No, it's not going to sound like that because that instrument has been played for yeah. two decades, and that's going to do something to the wood." It's yeah. just like that, and and he also openly said, "I'm not sure what it is." from a science perspective, but he said there is a difference between older instruments that have been played a lot and, yeah. and newer instruments that haven't. So yeah, absolutely. maybe you're absolutely right. Um, cause yeah, can, I, that, yeah. That something happens when you don't, when you don't play a bass, something negative happens to the actual wood and it's not vibrating. So it's actually, yeah, that's exactly there's that. In fact, the, I sound like a proper geek now, but w one of the ways they sell these, the latest Yamaha, the top of the range oh, Yamaha BBs is, um, they've got a thing called IRA, which is, not the irish um link it's, it's called ira stands for um uh, initial <laughs> initial response acceleration and what they do is they get they grab these bases and they put them on a machine that vibrates them and it, it simulates mm -hmm. that played in thing of getting the wood vibrating because it's been a tree five minutes ago it still wants to be a tree and it's like it's in shock what yeah, yeah. made me into this guitar it doesn't want to vibrate you know it doesn't want to sort of make those notes bloom so apparently that's one of the things that yamaha people do they just they vibrate these bases on a special machine and and you do notice it you pick it up and it just feels played in like the notes just sort of kind of sing you know but um yeah amazing i can just imagine that the product guy is saying uh, at yamaha saying we've got this amazing new technology it's called ira and then the marketing guy said no i'm not sure about this name i'm not well, sure about this but, name but they went yeah. with it didn't they they went with it <laughs> they did. yeah yeah, yeah a history yeah, lesson yeah. might help them next time but there we go but yeah um, yeah, I remember yeah. Michael Tobias doing that. I think I, I could be wrong really? about this, but if, if you're out there in the comments on YouTube or, or wherever you consume this podcast, where have you heard this? Because I definitely know of, um, you know, like vibration chambers. I feel, you know, these sort of aging yeah. chambers where, you know, you're going to play blast sound throughout this spectrum range at an instrument. Yeah. And the idea is to get the wood to open up, to start to resonate. Um, yeah. and I have always sort of wondered if that was a load of hooey, but yeah. do you feel, do you feel like you can tell on this Yamaha? Does it feel more resonant to you? Well, I mean, I guess you said it did. Yeah. Yeah, personally, I, I do feel it, it just, you know, when you get a brand new bass, they don't, I mean, I found it with my other, uh, an overwater I'd recently, I've had, I've taken it to the show, but just to play it every day, because it just doesn't quite, the notes don't kind of sing yet. It doesn't kind of punch out of the bass mm. yet. And after a while, it starts yeah. to just 
sort of resonate, you know, and you can feel it, it's resonating more. But I did I did honestly find with the, the Yamahas, they just do feel a bit played in from the word go, you know. So, um, and that's kind of one of the reasons why, yeah, I mean, yeah, why, why I don't have hundreds of bases. I had more at one point and I kind of sold them off and I don't know, we, we could go, we could talk oh. for five hours, couldn't we, about bases we've sold and shouldn't have, you know, like, oh, why did I get rid of that? It was really good. Well, but, um, I mean, while we're on the subject... <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, <laughs> did you ever have a period of time of like uh, collecting or just being excited about vintage bases? Because now it seems like you're, you have these bases that are tools for the gigs you're doing. Not to say that you don't love them and they're not, you know, artful, yeah. incredible pieces, but, but it, you've never, uh, struck me as the guy that is like searching for the 61 P base of your dreams. But did you, was there a point that you did that? And, and well, if actually, so, why did you change? Yeah, I've got, I've got to be honest, actually, it's, it's something that I, over the years has been niggling at me. I've got to try and find something a bit more vintage sounding for those moments, you know, but, but because like you rightly said, the sort of the, the kind of gigs that I get booked for um, kind of require I guess a more modern, not necessarily modern sound. I'm not, I'm not talking like, you know, fan fret MTD or something. And I'm talking about a sort of modern take on sure. the jazz that's, that's super quiet and hum free and blah, 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 you know, all very sensible. And, and because of the, it's all a lot of reading gigs I do, it sort of suits these, these overwater bases, you know, that kind of thing. But, uh, but you're over, over the years, I've thought I, it keeps coming back to me. You know, I want to try and find a really decent, um, you know, I'd like to find a 78 jazz as well, because the three, I think the three of us are all 78 babies, aren't we? We're kind of, um, we're all yes, born in Yeah, we are, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, wow. I didn't know we were 78 as well. That's so cool. That's it. You wow. Know. So, Incredible. Um, the golden who's, year. Who's the oldest? I'm, I'm September. What are you guys again? Um, I'm July. You're July. I'm the end of this month. Oh, okay. So Scott's the oldest. Yeah, Scott, you're the elder statesman. You're the elder, you're the elder statesman. <laughs> there's, there's, there's days in it, but you're the elder statesman, you know. But... Don't, worry, kid, don't worry, kids. I'll keep you on track. <laughs> yeah, that's, the that's the thing, you know. Uh, but yeah, that's, um, but to get back to that, I was, yeah, I've, I've kind of wanted to, and the reason I say that is when I was up at SBL and I was filming the, the Funk Pathway, when we got to the fu- yeah. one of the final courses, I think I was, I was recording the, um, this Wolfpack style tune. And um and there were these bases yeah. hanging around and one of them I think was a seventy eight jazz and I picked it up and it was like, Oh man, that sounds so good. It had that throaty, you know, mm. sound that we all talk about. And I and in fact that's on on that recording, so it's it will be on the membership when they release those courses, you know. Was it this one? Let me just grab it. Let me uh, grab it. Oh, I wonder if you still got it. Yeah, yeah. It just I sounded mean... so good. And I suddenly thought, Ah, oh, I've left it too late. I should have bought one of these uh... 10, fifteen years ago, you know. <laughs> But, um, but, uh, I mean, I st- I think the late '70s stuff is still ob- obtainable, though it isn't like yeah, crazy money like yeah. the '60s stuff. Yeah, was it this one? Oh, it, was it that one? It might, it might have been. I'm not sure if it was that beaten up. It might have been one that you gave away in a previous competition. So I don't know if it was '78. Oh, or maybe. It, it was that color, you know. Because that's not a '78, Scott. That's a '74. This is '74. Yeah, it's badass oh. though. It's really, really yeah, nice. God, oh, I think so I know good. the one that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. this is actually nicer. But oh. to your earlier point, when you were talking about the gigs that you do require it to be super clean, kind like, of. Yeah, I, I was gigging a. F- yeah, I was gigging a few weeks ago on that, and it's. It is super quirky. There are definitely yeah. like areas on the fretboard where you're just like, meh, can't really go there. Yeah. It just doesn't, you know, so it's, it's not the, it is interesting. Yeah. Um, but that, that, that's it might, yeah. E- e- 
Yeah, and I, I was just going to kind of say, sorry to interrupt a bit there. Um, it was this, it, it's that no, consistency that I need. For example, especially the sort of yeah. stuff I do in the in the West End, where, funnily enough, people say, "What's the hardest bit of playing in the West End?" Sometimes it's not that really hard run that's written into a part. It's something like the beginning of a song where there's just a singer on stage and maybe a little bit of piano, and then the bass comes in with a really high note and plays something melodic. You know, so you're kind of you're, yeah. you're looking yeah. up at the conductor. And you're not really, you haven't really got enough time to always keep an eye on the music. So you've got to, you have a quick look at the music. You're looking up at this conductor and it's so exposed. It's unbelievable. And you don't want an instrument that has quirks. You can't have that. Oh, if I hit the top string, it's a bit, it twangs a bit loud. So I want to play that a bit quieter. The bottom strings aren't really there. So I've got to dig in more. I just want a really, really consistent instrument, which is what the overwaters are from bottom to top. So you can, you can play yeah, often yeah. not looking at what you're doing. And you're kind of trying to keep your eyes between the music and a conductor or a screen with mm, the conductor on. Yes. And you've got this, you've got to take something out of the equation, which is a quirky bass. You just need to know that that's going to be okay when you're playing it, you know. So it's that sort of moment where it's just, you might be playing three notes, but it's coming out with a big system to 2,000 people out the front. And you've got to, you can't be like, oh, sorry, sorry. Can we do that again? You know, no, <laughs> this is live. <laughs> yeah. you know. I, I, I played it on the D string. I should have played it on the <laughs> exactly. G string. That, yeah, d- yeah, that note on the D string's a bit wacky. <laughs> on the bases yeah. that you have got, is it, are they 35 inch scale, the bases that you're playing? The overwaters well, are not? Yeah, the, the black one is 35. So it's got that really incredible B string. Um, but sort of, yeah. again, this is really a geeky moment, but I've gone for 34 and a half for the newer one, just slightly less. So it's still got a kind of slightly tauter mm. B string, but it's just a bit more forgiving on the G string side, you know? And um, mm. so that's been the sort, yeah. of, sort yeah. of tweak I've done in more recent years. I've just sort of going to that, that 34 and a half. It seems to be a sweet spot. It sounds very specific, doesn't it? A half an inch difference, but um, yeah. I'm into oh. the 34.5. F bases of 34.5 oh, as well. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, 34.5, yeah. And there's somebody at all Nordstrand, you know, the Nordy bases. Oh, yeah. They're all 34.5 as well, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and I think they do give a slightly better B string. Are you also, are you all active as well? I know that you've got Bartolini pickups, right? Yeah. I tried, Is yeah, it an like active circuit as well? Yeah, I do. Have, I have them in, but I kind of use them, use them sparingly. And, and actually, the, I think the closer you get to sort of really what you want in terms of the, the woods and the, the makeup of an instrument, the less you need it. And in fact, this the latest overwater I've bought, um, it's, it sounds amazing passive. And it's what I'm finding is I often set the, I set the internal gain to these things really low so that to try and minimize the jump in volume between passive and active because there's no point having like mm, crazy yeah. loud active circuit suddenly your battery goes and you have to switch to passive and it's like a tenth of the volume you know so i try and keep it yeah, so yeah, very yeah, similar yeah. you know and um but actually i've noticed yeah. recently it's like that sounds amazing passive and i hardly need to do anything with it so i have them put on you know as a matter of course like the the john east uni pre is the one i go for at the moment which just which is very clean sounding but actually, you know, I'm sort of, and the, the Yamahas are passive. So I'm sort of doing that classic thing. Uh, give me five more years. I'll just be back to a P bass and just throw the hat in like everyone else does. <laughs> we, we all do it, don't we? We start, we start with a P bass. Oh. You, you buy 406 bases. And then at the end, you just go, oh, yeah, the P bass was the one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you, you hang out, like, you hang out with all of the other, you know, well, I'm, you know, I'm sure that you all don't go and hang out at the, the pub together on a Sunday, but you you get my point that you know all of the other West End bass players, yeah, right? Yeah, Is it a very similar approach across everybody else? Everybody wants a really 
like even response yeah. base. Yeah, yeah. Are, are the majority of them playing active five strings, for instance? Yeah, to be honest, a lot of them are playing you know, overwater five strings is quite funny. It's a bit like, you know, you see yeah. the people would get, you know, booked for, can you come and record Fender bass please on my records years ago. And, and now it's, when you go to yes. the West End, it's like, have you got an overwater five string, you know? So a lot, of, a lot of them have got that. Yeah. And, um, a few people have, I, I know that are a bit more into the vintage thing, but they don't get, you don't get to use it much in the West End because if you imagine there's, you know, the whole, the premise of these West End shows is that there's a lot of different, types of music often in three hours and um i've done ones before with like one minute there's a kind of pseudo salsa moment then there's a sort of ballad then there'll be a kind of big band swing number and then there's a sort of funky thing and it keeps just chopping and changing so you can't these, these sort of super jays you know just seem to just cover everything like i, I can there's a there's a sort of reggae thing we play for a short while in hamilton and um and you know it's front pickup on passive tone right down i've got a quick you know second that i can do that and it just sounds like a different instrument for a minute you know so the, it, they're yeah, kind yeah. of the go-to instrument in in the west end just because they're so versatile and and there's not much time to change between instruments like it's you'd be surprised like where, where i am now i've got the the double basses on this weird little stand that holds it upright right next to me you know so it never really gets put down it's always just ready to grab and I've got the synth basses mm, kind of yeah. tucked under the music stand, and I've got a few basses to my electric basses to my right, and I'm just constantly switching between them all. So the, you've got to minimise how many instruments you have, really, you know. Um, but yeah, wild, still fun. It's all good. That is so. Yeah. It it's so cool. I mean, uh, to to be thinking about like what's the best for the show, right? And you can't have like you say your quirky hollow body with a bunch of dead spots. Yeah, you know, right. well, it's, funny. And yeah. it's so interesting because that stuff gets cool. Like that stuff people talk about on forums or there's like session bass players because on a record it's so different. You know, you yeah. can have something that maybe doesn't have. You don't have to have the same versatility because you're only playing one thing on a song potentially. Yeah. And so those things get like cool, but then sometimes, man, you know, there's this real odd disconnect between what gets cool on the forums and then what is actually useful, what is actually yeah. useful in, you know, your own personal live or, yeah. or studio situations. It's, yeah, it's so right. fun to hear the perspective. It's yeah. really cool. The, the, the only one instrument I did manage to get in extra on Hamilton was um, there's a hollow body moment. So there's a, there's a little song that gets played a couple of times where it's sort of more of a Beatles esque or bit, bit beach boys. Um, so it needed a hollow body, you know, the whole kind of flat wounds, plectrum with palm yes. muting. So what I've got for that is um, a Lackland one because it's, it's 34 inch scale and a lot of the line is yep. up high and it's, yeah. it stays in tune a bit better. If I'm honest, like those little short scale Hofners, you know, they, they're amazing, but they're not, they don't always stay in tune up high. So right. that I've got, I have been, you know, I managed to manage to get a, a Lackland hollow body in, but that's it really. That's just the four I've got for that show anyway, you know? So it's, um, yeah, that's fun. Could, that, that's can an we, amazing Can we talk a bit? Yeah. Can we can we talk a bit about playing in the West End, Ian, and just just for sort of like to make it uh, for like for context for the listeners? Mm. Um, when I was, and I'm not sure whether it's the same now. Maybe it is. Maybe you know better than I do. But when I was in my early twenties, and even actually before that, so when I was because I used to work at overwater bases, obviously, yeah, yeah, and all of these West all of these West End guys had come up, and Chris would talk about 
like the pinnacle of being a pro musician in the UK, um, other than working in the studio scene, which was actually dying at the time. Um, the pinnacle for a musician was working in the West End. It was like a big deal. Yeah. And that was obviously, you know, we having these West End musicians come to the to the workshop and we we're building ba- bases for them. And then when I moved down to Leeds and I was li- where I live now, um, and I was living in, you know, houses full of music students all going to Leeds College of Music. And then friends of mine were also going down to the Royal Academy in London. Like right. still the narrative was, oh, like the pinnacle is being in like a musician in the West End is like the, it's like, it, it's where everybody would love to be because it's, you know, you're playing in, it's it's a steady gig, obviously, but you're playing with world-class performers, world-class, you know, obviously artists as well are on the stage and dancers and ensembles and stuff like that. It's like, it's, it's really freaking cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, but for you, like, well, first of all, how did you get into doing that? Like, how yeah. did you get into doing your first West End gig? Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, well, the funny thing is with me, it, it, it was a, a longer journey than maybe some people. Like, and um, I guess the funny thing was, you know, I started off bass probably similar to a lot of people, early teens kind of thing. And then um, I got a job because I'm from the Isle of Wight, you know, down the south of England. And um, I got a job yeah. when I was 16 in a holiday camp, which which quite funnily enough is a bit like a mini West End show. So it was kind of like 16 years old and you're playing six nights a week, hmm. you know, a little house band playing band sets and then back yeah. cabaret artists as they come in and lots of reading. And it was kind of quite a quick little schooling for me in that sort of world. So that got me to wow. you know, play a lot. And then I got into music college sort of off off the back of that, really. I went and did an audition and got sort of, I guess they call it an, an unconditional offer because I hadn't done A-levels. I'd just done the holiday camp. That was my little bit of education, you know. So I did I did yeah. that. That got me up to London. And then once I was up in London, where it all seems to kick off, well, well for me it did, was I joined this thing called NIJO, which, is, which stands for National yeah. Youth Jazz Orchestra. And, what, and um, once you kind of, um, you, well, once you get there, you meet loads of people that you'll basically stick with for your whole career. You start, it seems to be where people's careers seem to take off. And in fact, I, when I first went to that, it was Yannick Wisdala who was, um, was the bass player on it in, in Nigel two, which is like the rehearsal. I was about to say it's, it's like a, it's a rite of passage, like rite of passages, Nigel. And like Yannick yeah. Wisdala was the bass player. Rufus Philpot was the bass player. Ah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, Phil Mulford used to be in in yeah, Nigel, right? Yeah, that's so it. It's like I know him well now, yeah. you know. So yeah. I sort of did. I did Nigel, and then yeah. I met a load of people, which I then sort of I've worked. I know to this day, and then um, I sort of what I did was about the best part of ten years. I just did a load of um, like functions and different bands, like um, disco bands, and uh, you know, different function bands, like Latin band. I was in at one point. I just played loads of music and sort of maybe did some touring shows around the country. Just got that sort of you know experience that you you need and then um later on a guitarist friend of mine called adam goldsmith he he knew that needed a bass player for the the mamma mia world tour that was going out which is all the abba abba tunes you know so um i went what was funny was i went to they set up a meeting for me to go and meet the the musical director and and the fixer who's like the agent you know for the musicians and i walked in and they said to me right this is a, a year gig you'll be away from home for the whole year there's no depping out no time off are you on are you you know are you on board and i was like no that sounds rubbish that's, i don't want to do that at all and he went i appreciate your honesty we'll get you in on the london west end scene we'll get you depping on uh, mamma mia in town so what was quite funny was a sort of a moment where i was just like 
no. He just went, brilliant, we'll get you in the West End then. So it was kind of this strange sort of, you know, thing where he just appreciated me being really honest. I think he probably had a load of people in there with, you know, with their caps in hand begging for the gig. And I was just like, no, this sounds rubbish. Yeah. I don't want to go away for a year, you know. So he got, so the next minute, I'm in, I'm in sitting in the pit for the, the Mamma Mia show in London, you know. And um, a, a fantastic bass player called Jazz Lockery, who um, just mega player he was. And um, and I sort of did that. And because it was quite a, a kind of poppy gig, I thought, oh, this is the West End. You just kind of have fun playing over pop tunes, you know. So I went in in depth on it and just put yeah. a lot of a bit of flair in, I suppose, you know. And um, and it went well. And I, I think I dipped on another show after that, Billy Elliot, it was called. And then, funnily enough, a show came up called Daddy Cool, which is all the music of Boney M, which, again, is like this sort of poppy stuff, really good fun bass lines to play, yeah. you know. And and one of the fixers heard that I'd done a good job on Mamma Mia, this kind of young, this young guy who'd come in and, you know, put, you know sort of played all over my, the Mamma Mia tunes. So I got this, I got a sort of, you know, the door opened for the, for the West End for me there, you know. And sort of from there on... I've just kind of my career. I've been lucky enough to do more of the pop type shows, you know, like rather than the more traditional ones, which I'm not, if I'm honest, I'm not sure I could do day in and day out. You know, I kind of, I like to just play slightly more, you know, pop soul and R and B type stuff, you know? So, I've, you know, it, yeah. it just seemed to be through meeting. It's often drummers or musical directors are the, are the contacts that really keep a bass player's career moving, you know, and through those contacts, I've just managed to, you know, every few years I've moved to a new show, for probably like 15 years plus now or something doing different ones. And and they're all kind of ones that tend to be the ones with fun bass lines. So I've been very lucky in terms of what, what wow. shows I've got to do, you know? Um, yeah. All kinds of stuff like dream girls was one was all kind of R and B and I, and the MD just, yeah, I was booked yeah. because the MD liked my playing. And if I put extra fills in, he was like, yeah, you know, he would love it, you know? So it's like, <laughs> or play out more, which is, which has been great, you know? So, um, was um Hamilton's wow. more of a kind of album that Hamilton's a bit more like reproduce this album that we made we want you to reproduce yes. so I thought I'll push my luck a bit and 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 change things up a little bit when where I can but it's a little bit more locked down than, yeah. than other shows I've done but but at the same time it's it's brilliant so it's kind of you know you can't complain really you know so it's, if, um, if somebody wanted to go down that career path what would your advice be to them like what are the key skills that they need to acquire yeah well yeah that's a good question I mean it's Essentially, it's, you know, you need to be able to read music, but not, I wouldn't say sight read. I think some people, people get this kind of fear. I can't sight read. It's like, you don't really need to sight. If you're going to go and record on a film, then yeah, you need to sight read because it's time is money and you're in the studio. But the West End stuff, you often get to prepare a little bit. So you need to be able to read well, but not, not necessarily sight read, you know. And, um, and then, you know, like, like we've talked about earlier on, you kind of need to be able to, you basically need to be able to play double bass to a fairly good standard, you know, not virtuosic by any stretch, but you need to be able to get around it really confidently and in tune with the bow, you know, and, um, and these days mm, you need yes. to be able to get around a synth bass with just, you know, um, without it sort of filling you with fear, you know, you want to be able to do a little bit of that. <laughs> and, um, but, but, yes, yeah, yeah. but the, the funny thing is it's kind of one side of it. It's not, that's not even half of it. Like being able to, play the instruments and read it's kind of i guess people skills you've got to be someone that someone would want to sit with you know eight shows a week um for six, over six days of the week you know so your your sort of interpersonal yeah. skills i guess are kind of super important you know you've got to be 
someone that people get on well with. You've got to be kind of humble. I mean, if you walk in the room with an ego in the West End, you, you'll be walking out of that room pretty quickly, you know, because it's just people don't tolerate mm. it at all. If someone's arrogant, they're just gone. The trap door button is hit. They're gone. That's it. The flames have come up. Wow. Yeah, yeah, no yeah. It's kind of like, you know, so I think you need to be that side of things you need to have together. You just need to be, yeah, a sort of personable you know, personality, you've got to be someone that people would like to be around. And, um, and, and I think you need a bit of experience in playing just different stuff. So, cause often, you know, you'll get to a section of music and it just will say, you know, like I said, Latin or something over these chords, just slash chords for a while. And that's it. And it's like, you, if you haven't played any of that before, you're just going to be stuck. So you do need to have played some different stuff um, just in order to have something to recall, you know, if it's like, and this is a 70s section, you know, you want to know a bunch of sheet tunes and s some sister sledge. You want to have played that in a function band so that when it says like, okay, you know, this is the chord sequence, but we want you to play in that style. You've got something to re to recall, you know, when you play. And um, it's God. one of the things I yeah. sort of say to, you know, younger players, some, some people come out straight out of college and they just want to go straight to the West End and I, and I can understand it. It's a steady job, but it's like, I kind of think now get out and play. You just don't want to sit under it yet. You've got to, you've got to get on the stage for a while and just play some gigs so that you've got something to bring some energy to bring to the pit, you know, when you play in the pit. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's the thing really. You had, you mentioned this thing about like, you know, you have to be a good hang, you know, you can't have ego. Um, but then you also said this thing of like, when you got on the Mamma Mia show, you kind of like, played all over it and i and i wonder and then you said you know sometimes maybe it depends on the md there's certain shows that you can you know maybe get away with more mm. but what you must have had that show so locked in that when you did maybe take a liberty and play a different fill that it was like oh this is awesome because this dude has everything else locked down is that right that has to be how it went I guess, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think that the sort of, um, that, yeah, that's, that's exactly it really. The, the thing is, I guess to be successful in that kind of world, you have to be the person who can do exactly that. You want to be able to nail the part, the baseline perfectly and just add just, and sort of choose just how much can I push this, you know, by how much extra can I put in to stamp my authority on it without ruining it and making mm. it too virtuosic. So there's, it's finding that sweet spot of, of giving it your yes. style, but it still sounds like the baseline, you know? So things like, you know, like we talked right at the beginning about the ABBA tunes, like when people go to watch, a musical about ABBA. They want to hear ABBA. So if you're there giving it two-handed tapping, the trap door is going to get done and you're gone. <laughs> you know, so it's like, you know what I mean? So, but if you can put some fills in having, for example, listening to the original records and you listen to the sort of fills that were happening in there. And if you sort of, you know, take them on board and then you play in that style, mm. just, just sort of, you know, pushing the envelope just enough to be like, oh, he's good, isn't he? But it still sounds like that music. I think that's, that's the sweet spot everyone wants to get to, you know. It's sort of, you know, Ooh, you want to be, you want to be booked for a reason, great. you know, you want to be like, you'd, if everyone was just mm. efficient and perfect at playing the, you know, we'd all be robots and it's like, you pick anyone, but mm. so you want to have that thing where you could play really accurately, but you've, there's something about you that's, oh, I like what he does. You know, he puts some cheeky things. Oh, in, I know. love that. Love it. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I've never heard that, that kind of take before. I've always sort of assumed that you're playing, um, you know, the ink 
that you're like on the page always. Right. And maybe there's a couple of moments. I mean, I, I haven't lived in that world hardly at all, but I've always assumed that. But I love that the, there's this thing of like, of course you got to learn it, but then maybe you take a, maybe you take a little liberty when it's called for. Yeah. Uh, and, and just to point out the crazy elephant in the room. I don't know if you guys hear that. <laughs> <laughs> My my furnace my furnace died and there oh, is yeah. a crew right uh, in the next room that is just drilling some shit into a wall right building now. Building a furnace. Oh my God. I love the way that you guys call it a furnace. What is a furnace? Well? Like I'm not sure that we have furnaces. A furnace. We have like cool. we call them boilers over. Yes, here. it's a boiler. But that's because it's yeah. water heat, right? Like you heat with water. Uh, and yeah. the water goes into the radiators. Yeah. This is like a forced air situation, uh, so it's air uh-huh. that blows. Oh, okay. Um, and then it also it also is the same way for AC. And I know you guys don't have AC, right? We don't have AC, no. Yeah, right. Have, so it's have, like I'll a... tell you what we've got. Shall I tell you what we've got? Freaking <laughs> yeah. mud. We've got mud <laughs> and just wet crap yeah, weather. Yeah. I've been pissing and moaning about this for the last week. It's awful. Yeah. Ah! And then you, you get to, it's the worst. Summer, when it gets to summer, there's like this two weeks when it just goes unbelievably hot and no one in this country knows what to do. We, none of us have got AC and we just all moan and just sort of lie around not knowing what to do and complaining. Yeah. Look at like Googling AC units and not actually, I don't buy them. And then I go to the next year and it keeps happening on repeat until we die. And we still haven't cottoned on with AC. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, everybody's oh making God. them sort of like, do you know them sort of like homemade AC units? Yes. Where the don't freaking work. They yeah. just don't work. I can remember sort of like, we tried to rig one up in the in the uh, in the living area in our house and we had sort of like these fans and we had like ice and like yeah. my brother's sitting in front of it and he's like I, he's like it. i can't it's making it worse oh exactly. it's making it worse i'm just humid we're just, just like, like oh, humidity oh, it's humid yeah yeah, yeah it's, oh my god it's, well ian, ian king you know you've been up in that you've been up in sbl hq yeah. i don't know if it's been hot up there for you but there was a time that i came over to the uk and was making the slap accelerator with scott oh, yeah. and i mean it was a hundred gazillion degrees up yeah. there. I mean, it was so damn hot. We would just absolutely yeah. drench our yes. clothes at the end of every session. And they had a little yeah. R2D2 kind of, you know, AC unit that they'd pull in and turn on in between takes. And it had, it. It had dropped one degree off of the yeah. room, you know? <laughs> that's, that's exactly what happened here when oh I was doing God. mine. Well. I just went over to that AC that right? in, in between takes and just try and get my hands in front of it. And then we'd go back to the thing and I'd be slipping all over the base trying to, trying to look like right Look like I know what I'm doing. Just killing your strings. Yes, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah it's, it's very hard. brutal, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. There we go. It's what it is. Yeah, it's the worst. Yeah. Hey, should we, should we talk? Just talking about recording. Should we talk about the uh, the pathways that you've yeah, done for yeah. SBL, Ian? Because. Cool. Because like I was adding up the content, and it, yesterday I was like, "Whoa, there's like over twelve hours oh, of, of content." And, yeah, and like, and I've been through those. I've been through those courses, and they're amazing. So, if anybody hasn't checked them out, um, there there are two learning pathways. One's the the one that we just released is all about funk. Um, and the other one's all about soul and R and B, and they're like meticulously put together. So good. It, yeah, they're so good. They're that really is. meticulously put together. And, and kind of as a, as an educator, um, intimidating for, for me, like I, I looked, I was like, whoa, like there's obviously so much work gone into them and they're, cause they're so step by step and you're adding in each little element as you go through each of the lessons. Like, how did you, 
How did you put all of that together? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny, yeah. I mean, that is, I do a lot of, you know, a lot of prep and a lot of thinking about what I want to put in these courses. So it's not just a bit random, you know. And um, I guess my headspace is always that um, I don't want people to, because they're all song-based, you know, well, they're really fun pathways because they're song-based. So people get to learn lots of music. But I'm really mindful of, I don't want them to just learn a lot of songs and then finish the pathway and go, uh, okay, now what? And be a bit stuck. I want them to really know what they just played by the end of it, yeah. you know. So, um, the, the soul and R&B one was a little bit more, I guess it was more, it came together more organically just because of the fact that, you know, there are all these subgenres, which are almost like every decade from like the fifties upwards, you know. So it seemed to just make sense. And, and actually, funnily enough, the techniques get a little bit harder as the years went on anyway. So that one seemed to come together quite nicely. Like you had like the early stuff, the influences of soul, you know, early gospel and R&B. And then, you you know, then we went into some um, stack stuff, slightly more simple bass lines, but, but hooky and interesting, you know, then a couple of Motown ones and then Philly and everything was getting a little bit, so I could actually introduce um, different sort of bass lessons, if you will, or bass concepts as we went through all the genres. So the soul one yeah, just yeah. come together quite organically. But but the funk one it's... And then it ends up right of it like Neo Soul, doesn't yeah, it? That's you it. end yeah. up right like D'Angelo kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah, that's it, you know. Um but with the funk one, I thought when when I was asked to put this funk one together, I thought this is this is quite intimidating because the the, the genre of funk is just so huge, you know. And like, for example, if if yeah. Yumi and and Mr. Allison like were asked to write down our top ten ever funk tunes, they'd be quite different. I mean, there'd be some crossover, but they would they would be quite different. So I thought this is quite a responsibility. If if I just start talking about funk stuff, I like then I'm going to miss people out here. So I thought, hang on, I've got to come at this from a slightly different angle. So I actually thought, what's the most important sort of part of funk? It's it's the rhythm side, isn't it? It's the kind of syncopation and understanding that. So I I thought, right, hang on a minute, let's, let's take the angle that this whole pathway is going to have a big emphasis on, on rhythms and like rhythm groupings and then syncopation so that, you know, and, and the beauty of a pathway is that you've got, you don't have to rush anything. You've got eight courses you can do this across, you know, so it's not just shoehorning it into one, you know? So I thought I, I, I'll start yeah. off quite early on, maybe do some James Brown style tracks, but just concentrate on eighth note rhythms, you know, and, and the groupings that you can do for that. And um, that's the first maybe couple of courses. And then when you get into like courses three and four, we start to introduce 16th notes, but importantly, kind of how they can interact with eighth notes. So groupings, of, often making up one beat or one crotchet, you know. So, um, for example, yeah. you know, an eighth note and two sixteens, they they make up one. So all the kind of groupings that you're likely to come across in that style music so every time you learn a new grouping there's a song that's like riddled with that with that particular grouping so there's there's one that's like you know all this kind of thing because it's an eighth and two sixteens you know so yeah yeah yeah. three and four are quite important because they're like we're looking at the, the the nuts and bolts of the of the groupings that you're likely to come across and then only when you get into like courses i think it's five and six do we start to remove notes or remove things from those groupings? And suddenly with that syncopation, you start to hear, oh, hang on. And this is these, that's the really funky rhythms that I've heard a lot, you know, um, for, for example, like, um, you know, if you've heard, I don't know if you can hear, can you hear my bass if I play it? Hang on a minute. If I just do that, can you hear that a bit? Is that coming out? Yeah. 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 Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. If you've got, for example, um, two sixteens and an eight, and it's like, 
like that. And then you've got, flip it around the other way, you've got an eight and two sixteens, you've got like that. So if you put those together, yeah. and this is when five, the courses five and six start to come together. If you put those groupings together, but you remove the eighth notes, you've got, you know, this thing. You know what I mean? So suddenly you've got like, I can hear that early grouping that I learned in another song. All I'm doing is removing some of them. And, and the beauty of that is that I, I'm trying to get it so that people can be really accurate with their placement, you know. So when they play bass lines, they're yeah. hearing the, the, what it's based on, you know. So anyway, and, and then obviously each, there's lots of songs that are based on. Like I did one that's um, that particular song I've just shown is a, a John Schofield influence thing there's a song called hot and tot which is um if you look up it's sort of got that vibe about it so i did a, a song in that style you know so yeah so you kind of start to learn about syncopation and how removing notes or tying notes together gives you these funk rhythms that you hear a lot you know and all the time you're kind of embedding the, the muscle memory i guess that's the idea i was trying to get people to get used to playing all these rhythms you know and then when you get to like chords yeah. seven and eight that's the kind of in in the style of tracks because um, and it's it. it's funny. I'm, there's you know Eric, who's sort of the, the one of the education, um, the heads of education for SBO, and I, I would uh, chat to him every so often in between making these courses. And I'd been so methodical with like courses one to six. When we chatted about seven to eight, he was like, "Ian, time to make it fun. This needs to get fun. Make it fun." He's <laughs> like, "We need more fun." So it was like it'd been so like, it, like class, you know, it'd been like everyone you're you're at school, you know. So by the time we get to courses seven and eight, suddenly it's yeah. like. The, you know the tracks and the style of what is it larry graham and flea and um mark king oh, cool. the slap ones, and then um bernard edwards and um francis rocco prestia and then um and joe dart yeah. from volk so i sort of went you know by the, the idea is there but by the time you get to those those final couple of courses is that you've kind of you're understanding the rhythms and your hands are sort of used to playing them if that makes sense it sort of sounds a bit strange but it's like mm -hmm. i want to try to embed some muscle memory in people so that they've played that particular rhythm over and over in another song and then when it when they come across it in something more complicated it's like they've got used to it and they're understood where everything's subdivided and that so it's sort of a bit of a maths lesson it's like six courses of maths and then you get to play flea you know so it's uh you know yeah well yeah well just bounce off the back of that it's definitely something i've experienced before in terms of like when i've been working with students who have been playing rock for a long long time the subdivision when you start working on subdivisions with them 16th subdivisions it totally screws them over yeah because they just haven't felt it like that before they just they've been feeling longer periods of time right so right. they really um, you know i'm always yeah i'm always getting the students to work on their subdivisions yeah always you know also pointing them in the, the direction of uh you know r&b as well motown stuff james jameson because of yeah. the way he played was so syncopated absolutely it's just a really nice way yeah. of getting people to start actually hearing music in a slightly different way but to your point it is really important to to start getting comfortable playing those subdivisions on the instrument it's yeah. so important yeah. it's something as like kind of when you've been doing it for so long you take it for granted yes. yeah. but then when you're showing it to somebody they're just like they're, uh, they're yeah. just not hearing it in the right in the right place yeah so yeah I love it. yeah so that, well, and i mean I, I went yeah. through your oh sorry mr and that's King. cool that's cool Go I, I, I just wanted to give give your your amazing pathways a plug because i went wow. through a good chunk of the r&b pathway and i learned so much oh cool and it is so uh -huh. like everybody listening if you're like oh, i don't really know that i've got my r&b stacks motown game together 
get it together with this pathway. It, it will. You like if you go through it and you work on it, it will get it together. And if you're like, yeah, I guess, you know, I've played like play that funky music once or twice in a function band, but I don't really know (laughs) funk, but I love that word. And I think I want to be funky and I want to dive in. Like if you do, I I have no doubt. I mean, I haven't done the funk learning pathway, but I can't wait to do it. I mean, really, I'm so excited to just dive in from square one. And, um, and that's what I would recommend to everybody too, that wants to check these out, dive in, even if you think you're an advanced player or you, you know, you can start halfway down the pathway don't do that halfway down the pathway sounds like <laughs> sounds like a tune that we need to write. <laughs> um, the second album start from square one because everybody has gaps even if you think you're the baddest funk player you have gaps in your playing even if you think you know your r&b chops start from the top mm-hmm. and um ian king is going to sort you out dude have you heard the tracks have you heard the the, the play along oh yeah i have I, I was checking them out as they were coming in eric and i, oh, I was yeah. checking them out they're amazing oh that's they're so good what was the process of doing those like they're so good have you got like a live band playing those or uh, not? yeah well that's it i mean the funny thing is it, you know when you're recording or, or trying to come up with songs for these these pathways you know there's something really daunting about you know opening logic you know or any recording software sat there with your bass and looking at a blank screen it's like oh my god what am i going to do so I, I quickly close logic again and i just start listening so i just listen to loads of stuff to get inspired you know and um you know for example i might just like pick up a song i really love i've always loved that might be you know might be useful for what we're about to do and i'll kind of jam over it and like learn the bass line on that and maybe start to think of other ideas that could work for a song of my own and maybe i'll start changing chords and stuff and it will it will kind of clash with the original, but I'm just sort of jamming over it until I come up with an idea, you know. And then I'll I'll quickly shut that off, yeah. go back to logic and put a kind of quickly chuck a sort of logic loop in something, a drum loop, play over it, get get the idea down, you know. And then um I'll then get the bass line, I'll do myself a, a chord chart, I'll cr- sort of create a song with a few sections and stuff, and some notes about what what inspired me. And I'll send that over to my drummer friend, um, Tim Goodyear, who's, who's played on most of these tracks. He's just a, a monster player, you know. And he's, he's one of those classy players who just knows what, what's needed immediately. You know, he seems to just get it. So he will play, he'll do a drum track for me. He'll send it over. I'll then re-record the bass because it will, you know, the, the, the logic loops are a bit wobbly sometimes. So I'll, I'll then re-record the bass, which so it sits perfectly with what he's yeah. done. And then from there, I'll, um, you've now got a nice bass and drum track which i'll then um send over to my another friend i've got called tim another tim tim maple who plays guitar and keyboards sort of he's one of those annoying people who's just stupidly talented on more than one instrument you know how how dare he and um and he he's again just unbelievably you know talented guy who can who just gets it especially if you say oh i kind of want this to sound a bit like that track but can we do this and he'll pick up on things i've done in the bass line and make it the melody for that moment you know so but between us i've sort of i've come up with a bass line and a, and a sort of thought pro- thought process and a chart and then i get these other guys to sort of help me put the tracks together you know but it, it all comes from um you know inspiration like um like earlier on, I was, I was, there was a track. Have you ever heard of um, Don Blackman? There's, there's a guy called Don Blackman. And he, he had. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Yes. And Such he, a cool record. Yeah. That, that, that self-titled one. Um, what, one yes. of the tracks I've done, I'm just going to try and bring it up here. Yeah. It, one of the tracks I've done is based on this one called Def. It's called Def Hookup Connection. I wonder, I don't know if you can, if I turn this <laughs> up a bit, I wonder if you can hear this. 
Yeah, dude. Have you heard that one before? Yeah. Yeah. You know. So good. So I'll let that play for a second and let me get my one up. Uh. So yeah, so having having sort of jammed over that for a bit, then you'll you'll hear this where yeah. this one's this is one of mine. This is like um inspired by that, slightly slower. Yeah. You know, so you can kind of you can hear the, oh, you know, yeah, the inspiration there. So it's sort of that's that's in course five and and that's sort of illustrating oh, one set so of rhythms cool. and stuff. So you can sort of hear I've jammed over one and then I'm like quickly shut it off and then like get something similar down, you know. So it's always inspired by stuff, you know. Yeah. It yeah. Kind of, yeah, it kind of seems to work anyway, you know. So yeah. Just honestly, they're just so so good. Every time I listen to, I can remember you sending through the Prince one, and I was just like, "This is outrageous!" Ah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was, oh, cool. uh, yeah, yeah, so good. And I sort of tried, yeah. To which which one was that Prince one? Have you got that? Oh. Have you got that on your yeah, uh, cool. on your computer? Now? Yeah, I might have it here. Is that this one? Stick it. Um, let's see if this is this it. <laughs> Cheesy sounds. So good. Oh, it's great. So you're getting into a little bit of thumbing here, you know. Yeah. It's Minneapolis, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's kind of, um, that's based on, there's a song called Head, you know, by um, by Prince. And I just put the push in somewhere else in the bar and then kind of created something on that, you know. But um, and when it came to the, uh, Amazing. the, in the style of ones, I kind of tried to pick up on, things that that player did like someone like um mark king from level 42 he's he's known for like obviously yeah. amazing slap playing lots of octaves but he play he plays tenths a lot so i, I mean i don't know mm. if I give you 10 seconds of this one but it's like it's i've tried to put something that had loads of tenths in it um yeah here we go hang on so you know the classic d yeah a, you know yeah. All this sort of stuff. And then it's straight into a kind of love games style thing. But anyway, I won't bore you with it anymore. But, you know, it's sort of trying to... Oh, it's I'll killing. Tell you what, that they... Learning bass is so much freaking cooler now, isn't it? Yeah. Like, it's so... <laughs> learning bass when we learned it was shit. <laughs> yeah, it was harder. It was certainly harder. <laughs> oh, my word. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you can have these bass lists and with, you know, booklets that everyone's made from SBO and it's it's all there, you know, it's good. Yeah, nice way to It's learn. outrageous, isn't it? Yeah, well... Yeah, if, if 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 you're listening, hopefully, well, I know lots of people listen to the pod. L- listen, all of this is in the membership for you to go check out. Both of them pathways from uh, Mr. King here with all of them amazing tracks. And um, yeah. and and it really is such an outrageous way to learn as well in all of, in the best of ways because unlike when we were learning to play out of like I don't know like books that came into library and stuff like yes. that now you can learn from people like Ian King and like Ian Allison here that are just you know just absolutely at the top of their game yeah, and not only great players but just freaking world class educators as well and also you know check out Ian Allison's 
pathways as well. Yeah. He's done some incredible pathways as well. And uh, yeah, just <laughs> man, I want to rewind time and learn bass again. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I'm oh, not even kidding. Me too. Oh. I know, but but you know what? I feel like we still can. I mean, honestly, like yeah. Mr. King, when I dug into your R and B pathway, I was like, God, this is awesome. And I mean, I need to spend more time. I mean, I just need to hold myself more accountable to go through that stuff. And I've famously, not famously, but I've, I've told this a lot that when I came on board SBL, I started player's path from level one because my reading was terrible, terrible. Right, right. I've always been an ear guy. I've always been, you know, a, a band guy, a creative studio guy. I've never had reading gigs. And it was a thing where I was like, ah, I need to get this a little bit together. And I just started from one and it gave me yeah. more confidence. And um, so, yeah, I, I think we still can. Um, and it's yeah. funny, Scott, that you say that because my wife the other day was like, what if I... <laughs> She said, what if I wanted to learn a little bit of bass? And I was like, I, I hate that I'm going to say this, but I think it's SBL. <laughs> and she's like, where would I go first? And I was like, you're going to, you're going to hate this even more. <laughs> I'm like, but I did do three beginner learning pathways. And she's like, Oh God, I've got to learn it from you. <laughs> Dude. Like if, if Lisa turned around and she was like, what if what if I was going to learn bass? My first thought would be, "This is the end. <laughs> this this will end us." Uh -oh. oh my yeah. god! You want to be like, yeah. you, you you should be like, or or guitar. We need drummers. Oh, yeah. drums! Yeah, we need drummers. Yeah, oh. yeah, exactly, exactly. Or oh, drums. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. yeah. But I don't, yeah. Know, I don't know about you guys. Yeah, but I I've don't found... think she's going to be going through it. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, I, I was just going to say. I, I've personally found that it's taken me sort of twenty years of coming away from thinking about teaching. I, I did some teaching when I first left uni and all that. You know, kind of schools and stuff. And I wasn't really that into it. I was just trying to get people through these rock school books and come on, let's get it in accounting the mm. minutes to the end of the day. But when you've been out playing for a while yeah. and you think about what you do and then you sort of think about how, you know, you can sort of almost deconstruct what you do, you get a bit, bit more excited about how you can teach that again. So it's it's kind of, you know, reignited the fire for me in terms of the teaching side of things, just because I feel like I've got a bit more clarity on how to describe stuff, you know, and, and then especially when you can make tracks, like when you can make a song that illustrates a point, that's really cool, you know, especially in the, right, this one's in this, in this style of chili peppers, you know, and we're going to illustrate this Incredible. point. That's a really cool thing, you know, so like you say, it's, I think it's a nicer time to learn now, you know, it's sort of more fun. Yeah, I also fell in love with education, like after not being into it, like when I left school, and then, you know, obviously, I did it working in Overwater, but then just started playing professionally. I was doing at some points within that, like teaching at local universities and stuff like that. And it was if hand on heart, it was only to pay the rent, mm, you know, like, mm, exactly. I, I wanted to gig, but I was like, Oh, you know, like money, money's tight. And you know, you've got sort of like a they offer you 10 hours at a local university or whatever. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll do yeah, it. Yeah, And, um, but then later when I was in like mid to late 20s, that's when I kind of like really fell in love with education again and, mm. and thought, actually, this could be, there's a real skill. Yeah. I think that that's the thing that really, it wasn't, it was very selfish. <laughs> it was, it wasn't, I want to teach the masses how to love the bass. And it wasn't actually that. It was more, oh, I want to become a freaking, like a monster teacher. Right, like, right. I want to become a mon, a mon. It was actually like more like selfish, slightly driven from a competitive side. I was like, I don't think there's enough great teachers in the world. 
I want to become a great teacher. Yeah, and right. then through that, the pursuit of that really fell in love with education and then teaching and stuff like that. But it's kind of funny that yeah, it, was, yeah. it was kind but of like think, selfish, yeah. selfishly driven from the start. But I think people yeah. always saw your enthusiasm, you know, when you, when you first put videos out on YouTube and everyone saw it, you know, I think there was a, that people could see that you were, you were into what you were doing and you genuinely wanted to get, you, you know, you guys need to learn this, you know, and you were trying to, you were enthusiastic about people learning the stuff you knew. And I think people pick up on that. If someone that sounds like they're just going through yeah. the motions, people pick up on that quickly. And I think with you, they, they could clock that you were, you, you were enthusiastic and you were good at it, you know? So it kind of, I guess that's where it's, where, you know, why it's gone as well as it has, which is great. Well, but, yeah, there's, I, I think there's, yeah, there's a real skill, isn't there? Like, of like how to break down a concept to, into a digestible, you know, piece of information. I think it was Einstein that famously said, if I can't explain a concept to an intelligent 12 year old, I don't understand. Right. And I think you, that's bang on. Yeah. If you can't, if you can't explain something to an intelligent 12 year old, you, well, you don't understand it com like correctly yourself. Right, you haven't right. thought about it deeply enough to actually communicate that that piece of information. Mm. So yeah, I'm super into it. Anyway, yeah. dudes, <laughs> should we call it? This has been freaking awesome. Yeah. And Ian yeah, King, I just want to say too, man, we're we're so uh, we're so fortunate to have you, man. We're so fortunate oh, to have you me. make content on this platform. Like oh, it's it's so high level. It's killing. So oh, thank you for pouring your time and energy and just like out outrageous skill yeah. into the pathways and everybody listening if you haven't checked out soul r&b pathway and the brand new funk learning pathway you owe it to yourself if you're a member um, go check it out if you're not a member you can of course always grab the free 14-day trial scottspacelessons.com get on over there and check out mr king just throwing down and showing <laughs> you how to throw down as well cool. that's the most important part right. so thanks. absolutely Hey, Ian, I'm just going to put it out there as well. Would you be up for coming up and like doing some YouTube videos as well? Yeah. We'd love to do some cool Absolutely. YouTube. Even maybe when you're up, Ian, maybe oh. when you're over, Ian. Let's yeah. do it. Wouldn't it be cool to go like, do you know, like the blindfold <laughs> test? We'll do the blindfold <laughs> test stuff with oh, him. Blimey. Oh, that I would be so fun. Yeah. Count me yes. in. Right? We need to, we need yeah. to outnumber him with Ian's. Too many Ian's in the room. Will be damn right. Damn right. You're going to be flanked by Ian's, exactly. Scott yeah. Devine. <laughs> that sounds good. No, count me in. I'm ready. Bring it on. Count me in. Count me in. But stop. Anyway, all my, uh, right. C, 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 C across all the strings. I practice that one and all that stuff, isn't it? You know. Exactly that. Note. Exactly <laughs> that. Yeah, that's right. Anyway. Anyway, thanks so much for listening, everybody. We will, uh, we'll see you next time. Take it easy. Yeah. Bye. Take care, everybody. Cheers.